just a couple weeks ago about building a foundation and that our calling to, to love God and our calling to love other people uh, is built on the reality that God has first loved us in Jesus and we simply respond to that. That God has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were most unlovable, uh, he sends Jesus into our story to be both uh, Lord and, and Savior and we love because he first loved us. Everything that we do with love now is built on this incredibly huge and brilliant and beautiful truth. And, and last week we took a look at the attitude that love carries by listening to how Jesus raises the bar of expectations when it comes to how loving we are. Uh, because again, I asked you, hey, how loving are you? Uh, you will start to evaluate the way you walk through your day, right? And then if that doesn't work, you'll find someone who's a dirtbag, and you'll say, at least I'm more loving than them, and therefore I'm a pretty good loving person. Like we said, you know, like we said, I'll send a mark, and I'm like, I'm always putting that down. And that gave a mark, not the one I just pointed to. Um, but, but, but we understand more and more that we are called to love as Jesus comes in. He says, I want you to love each other, not based on how you've treated one another, but how I have treated you, and how I have loved you, and how I have modeled that love through sacrifice for you. And, and that led us to asking ourselves, what's the attitude that love carries? Because it does have an attitude. Uh, it's just not as uh, rude as most of us tend to want to use it. Uh, that when we went into Philippians, we saw that uh, Paul says that we should model the kind of attitude that Christ had modeled for us. And we said that that walks us down the road of humility. And so every Christian walks in humility. And some of you out there are like, oh, that's not the message of the church that I've experienced. Uh, because we've, we've, this, we've also explored how the works of the church um, can be pretty egotistical. Uh, it can be pretty competitive. And, and what we've got in the Bible is that we don't have to compete. And of course, these last two weeks have been grounded in a powerful verse found in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, where Paul leans into our lives and he just says, let all that you do be done in love. So we've taken that verse and we say, okay, I don't want to fight it. I want to wear it. I want to walk through my life in these words. And so uh, the question that we're praying through and we're exploring and daring to ask accountability in is just what could happen if every person I encountered uh, just over the next couple weeks was encountered through a choice of doing everything in love. Uh, that, that I chose to read the Word of God and apply it confess that it is describing to me the healthiest way for me to live. And so, so what would that look like if I treated people with love? If I forgave people in love? If I serve people in love? If I speak to people in love? If I see people through the lens of God's love? That, that we would lash out in love in every way imaginable, not using it as a weapon or a reward depending on how we're feeling at the moment or how that person has, um, what that person has done to us or for us. And that we would simply say, because God has loved us to the highest degree possible, we would just simply respond in worship, express the love. And so this is where we arrive in 1 Corinthians 13, because uh, we're going to spend two weeks in here, and really just about 13 verses of it, 
try to tackle all 13 uh, today, but then that would uh, not work out because we'd have to be sprinting through some verses that I would rather us kind of walk through. And so what's going to happen in these next two weeks is Paul is going to show us the important necessity of love. He's going to raise the bar again of, of how we evaluate love. And he's going to say just how incredibly important it is to the actions that we have, especially as believers. Uh, and then next week, he's going to show us what love looks like when it's put into action. Uh, and some uh, things that we tend to, to well, ignore at times when love is not coming as, as easily as we would prefer it to be. And so uh, let's, let's pray, and then we will uh, get into First Corinthians 16. Father, we come to you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray this morning that we would have um, a very honest conversation with all three. And that as we read your word, we would be encouraged by your Spirit and that we would see your Son so incredibly clearly today. That our love for him and our affections for him would stir us unto love and obedience. We ask this for your enablement because in our own strength we can't accomplish this. So we pray for life, Jesus. We pray that our hearts will be rendered and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. All right. So I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I have been at least one if you're married, right? Uh, but but officiating weddings, I, I have found myself surrounded by a certain set of verses that are always shared at. Uh, there are certain verses you share at funerals. There are certain verses you share at uh, weddings. And, uh, and ironically enough, First Corinthians 13 is one that is shared very frequently, no matter the wedding that you're at. Uh, in fact, uh, it is shared so much to the point that people think uh, that these words that Paul gives us are only shared between husbands and wives. And really, what we need to remember is that Paul's not writing about marriage necessarily in 1 Corinthians 13. He's talking about the church. He's talking about how the church raises up and glorifies God with their life. Now, the verses that we find in 1 Corinthians 13 are very fitting for our relationships with our spouses, but it applies all across the board to every person that you come in, in contact with. And, and what I hope we would understand this morning uh, is just how fitting these words are in, in all of our relationships as we strive to be more effective in the story that God has given. And, and so we also need to understand uh, that, that Paul is going to use some rather sophisticated dysfunctions in the church of Corinth uh, to bring up the necessity and the importance of love. Because what has happened is that in their dysfunctions, they've separated themselves from carrying love with one another. And that's causing uh, some great friction, and it has caused love to become out of whack, and it wasn't valued as it should be. Even though, even though you understand this, they looked very, they looked very spiritual. Uh, they looked very mature, and they almost looked healthy, in fact, uh, because they're doing all these things that, the people of God are supposed to be doing, but their hearts are very removed from it. And so Paul is going to step into that gap and he's going to say, okay, we need to understand the role of love when it comes to these actions of the lives. And, and so our structure is going to be three verses and we're going to find four points of emphasis for uh, Corinth Community Church uh, or Triple C Church or C Jude 
the competition begins separating the bride. And anytime you see a separation of the bride Christ, something is wrong. Um, something very real has gone wrong. And so Paul's point uh, since he isn't competing with them uh, and he can see things a little bit more clearly is that uh, it's actually pretty humorous. He says, okay, listen, uh, let's let's suppose you are the best around. Um, let's suppose that, that you gathered together and you all competed and you won. And people came from all over the land and they, uh, they were so impressed with what you have, they were giving you palaces and goats and camels and Doritos. Now, let's, let's say that you have this endless supply of Dr. Pepper uh, because you were sponsored by it. Now, you know what, Dr. Pepper? What do you like? I'm sorry, Sparks Fine, I'm sure. Um, so so let's, say, let's say that that was it. That you had endorsements uh, because you were so good at speaking in tongues that they decided they were going to send one representative to heaven. Right? And you were going to battle it out with all the creative angels who have beheld the glory of God. Okay? And, and let's say that in that moment you competed against the angels and you wiped the floor with them. Right? If I speak the tongues of men and of angels. Let's say that I wiped the floor and they gave me this big old WWE championship belt that can't get out of your genre. In my mind, it has like the Rolling Stones logo on the front of it, right? The, the mouth with the tongue thing. Um, don't worry about it. If you didn't get it, you're not cool enough. Um, so, so let's say that they gave you that. And he says, if I had those gifts, if I had that ability, but I didn't have love, just noise. He says it's, it has zero value. It's not anchored in love, and it's not used for the purpose of love. And to God, it sounds like the clanging of trash cans. You know, if you have kids give away a, a spoon in a pot when you want to go to town and get one, and see what a beautiful sound that is to your ears. He says it's 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 useless. So so number one. In your context, you can wrap this one. Number one. Number one. Uh, if, if my desire to grow spiritually is not attached to growth in love, I'll be ineffective in the story of God. If, if my desire to grow spiritually is not attached to growing in love, I will be very ineffective in the story of God. Now, let's remember the gift of tongues is from God in the first place. He is the one who equips, but but when we use giftings and equippings to beat up and wound one another, we've lost the reason why we've been given such an, an incredible gift. The book of James in chapter uh, 1, uh, we were talking about this with our student groups on Wednesday night, which I'm loving, by the way. Uh, I think I have to go to the adult group this week, and I'm not looking forward to it either. I'm so much fun sometimes. Um, but, but, but it says that, that every good and every perfect gift from the Father. So, so God gives us these things for the benefit of, of one another. And, and he says, uh, he says, instead, Paul's point is simple. He says, you may be making noise, but it's not helpful at all. You may be making noise with your life, but it's, it's not very helpful. And, and so it makes me wonder about us here at Emerge. I wonder if Paul would look at it and say, hey, Emerge, um, if, if, if you serve by teaching and merge kids every week and you were the best teacher that we have. Uh, maybe if, if, if you 
we serve that when we pray over one another and we help people navigate some of the most difficult places and seasons of their lives. Maybe if, if you were the most impressive greeter, and like greeters from all around the state of Texas came to watch you shake hands, uh, if you had that ability and it was not attached to love, he says it's completely useless. He says it's just, just noise. In fact, it's just a practice for promoting yourself. And you're not that important to God. So again, in verse 22, where he says this, And if I have prophetic powers, and understand all of this, today I'm going to learn that word, all of this is pretty important. That's, that's what we like to call an all-encompassing word. Uh, if I understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and then uh, at the end of, uh, or I think uh, the end of verse 2, uh, he's going to say, but have not love, I am all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. So he, he's writing to another dysfunction of the church. He says, uh, because here's what happens. Uh, they value knowledge, which is, uh, isn't bad at all, but uh, they use knowledge, again, as a way of dividing people, which isn't healthy at all. They, they even created fan clubs for their favorite teachers. Uh, they would have this early in the chapter in the book uh, that he's writing. He says, that some of you guys are big fans of this dude named Apollos. And so when he would get up to teach, uh, you, certain groups would like champion that. Uh, very much like State of the Union kind of stuff, uh, where if it was your guy, you came to stand, you know, if it wasn't your guy, you didn't. Uh, and so he says, he says, there's basically three guys that Paul would reference. He will say, uh, some of you are fans of Apollos. Some of you guys are fans of Cephas, uh, and then some of you guys are even fans of me. And they cherished knowledge, but they didn't cherish it in love. They used it as a way to, to divide. And so Paul leverages his reputation to explain that, that if you knew it all, if you knew from, from the prophetic truths of God to the understanding of the mysteries of the world, but still lack the fundamental skill But what does he say? He says, I am nothing. Because I am nothing. So point two, you're probably like, oh, you're good. Hey, you're good, bro. You're doing great. You're doing great. Like, bless you to see that he jumped in. He's like, wow. That's cool. Number two, knowledge without love becomes a weapon of division. Knowledge without love becomes a, a weapon of division. And one of those this way. Have you ever been in a debate with someone or an argument with someone uh, and they're speaking and you're not listening because you're spending your time trying to figure out what's that next thing I can say that will just lob that balloon or that balloon. Uh, we're having water balloon fights in my arguments. Um, just lob that grenade or, or load up that bazooka to blow them out. That's knowledge about love. I know what to say to win the argument, but I can also, at the same time, win the argument and lose the heart. And, and so, so but my question is, has that ever really worked out for you in a beneficial way? And you might have walked, in, you might have walked away high-fiving yourself saying you were one-on-one. And that, but what 
to destroy rather than to build. And it's an issue the church faces um, far too long and, and much too often that, that we are guilty of specifically judging a very unbelieving world and trying to engage in them with knowledge that is wrong. We try to tell them what is right and what is wrong without showing them why those things are right and why those things are wrong. And can we believe the goal is to be more right at the expense of grace and the bigger picture desire of finding people finding life in Christ? Now, now just take that to your relationship, right? Remember the concept here is that I do everything in love. So what would that look like as I apply my knowledge and my love? And we, we've seen the application of knowledge void of love and how it divides. Uh, and, and the point is that God gives us this incredible insight he reveals to us the healthiest way to live on mission for the gospel. I mean, this is covered in his desire to love us as we love the world. We go from nothing to something when we anchor knowledge to love. It's, it's the heart and the mind joining together as a discussion. So he continues to the, the other part of verse 2. He says this, And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And let me just say my objection with what Paul is just saying here. Because I've always believed that faith is so very important. That, that I need to have faith, and the more my faith grows, the better I understand who God is. And so so my, my insertion here would be, hey, Paul, isn't that a bit of an overstatement? I mean, isn't, isn't faith, isn't that the magical um, ability that we're all trying to have? Because Jesus says that, that if we have faith, we can move mountains with it. Isn't that the power that we're looking for in the church? Isn't that the kind of power that I'm looking for as I appreciate more and more uh, what God has done, and Paul would look at me and say, no. You, you can't get this mixed up. Jesus tells us that, that we can have faith that can move mountains, and that's a powerful statement told by someone who is not a liar. It's actually equipping that we all have available to us for faith, whatever it takes. But that kind of faith is very possible. Um, and, and in him, a faith should be some allowance here. I read a quote a few weeks ago um, by Frederick Wheaton, and you know, it's sort of paraphrasing. He says, you know, faith is more of a, a process than a possession. Um, as we grow in faith, we start to understand how important it is. Uh, and I think as we grow in faith, we, we press into the heart of the Father, seeing more and more of who He is and better understanding how He's empowering us to do incredible things, like, like mountain moving kind of things. And when our hearts are geared to His, um, especially His great commission to display His love uh, expressed in Jesus to the world, that, that we would begin to understand just how vital love is. In fact, He says it sometimes for our number three. He says that, that growing in love is more important than flexing uh, my spiritual muscles. 
because it's growing a little bit more important um, than flexing my spiritual muscles. And, and that is what we know. Uh, muscles are impressive, but love is attractive. Um, that's how I, I greet Misty and Mary and you. That's it. Okay? Muscles are impressive, but, but love is attractive. It looks deep. You don't force it. It moves into that. And, and so it's developing a faith that is strong and important. I'm sorry, let me ask this. Is developing a faith that is strong important to God? Absolutely. Um, that, that, that powerful things happen as God grows us. Uh, but is faith to be pursued more than love? chapter, uh, and he will say this, and, and, and most of you will be able to um, end this, this line with me. He says, now these three remain. He says, faith, hope, and love. And now, what we try to say is, okay, okay, those three remain, which is the most important, right? Which one do I need to spend the most time working on? So he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the, the most important is somehow bought into this lie that in order to have spiritual influence in someone's life, you have to be just spiritually ripped uh, for them to, to take notice or to give allowance for whatever you're trying to do. And if faith is as much a process as it is a possession, we need to understand that for some people, the biggest and the greatest testimony is showing how you are growing in these stages. It's going from being very, very weak to becoming stronger when people start taking notice of you. It's personal. It's personal. you got to get moving. I only have about 45 more minutes, so we're good. Uh, you laugh? Yeah, no. Uh, here we go. Verse 3. If I gave away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, okay, to be burned, but have not love, I, what? Gain. things with the rest, I suppose, uh, seem to be the kind of selfless acts we should be striving for as believers, right? Um, that, that, that when they are done in the right way for the right reasons, absolutely. Uh, but, but grand gestures of, ph- of philanthropy and uh, martyrdom in the name of the self does very little to change human lives. Uh, in fact, because the focus is and extends with the self. When done in the name of Jesus for the glory of God, that's, that's a different story. One to which Paul models and is challenging us to partner in. But uh, have, have, you ever, have you ever found yourself grateful for your own life? Um, I know when I've tried it, I'm really bad at it. Um, but it's like, even as you say it, like, that sounded so smart. But we've been planned this day as, as humans long before the chapter began. Uh, and, but the Bible is very clear. A 
about the rewards that we get when we truly love Jesus. He says, uh, Jesus will come in and he'll say, okay, when, when you want to do things for the praise of man, uh, when you want to do things for the acknowledgement of other people, just know this, that the high five that you get and the pat on the back that you get, that's it. You receive your reward in full. So he says that everything that you should do, uh, everything that you could be doing to gain a greater reward, you do it in the name of Jesus. You do it in service of Jesus uh, so that when you do receive praise, it comes from God. Uh, and that reward is in heaven, which lasts much longer and is much better protected uh, in those things. And, and so, so the Bible is very clear about it. And, and I should say as well uh, that, that philanthropy, philanthropy and philanthropy and, and martyrdom uh, doesn't always have to be selfish people, uh, but it is always self-seeking. So, so number four is what we see, that, that showing love uh, should be a motivation for services like this. What a great question to ask, right? When we're given the opportunity to serve, we're given the opportunity to sacrifice, Asking this very simple question, is love coming this enough? Is love guiding this service? Is love guiding this sacrifice? And, and Paul's equation is penetrating. He says, he says service and sacrifice without love uh, equal nothing in life. No lives really change. No hearts uh, restored. It's all this very this exercise in wasted energy and, and resources. And these are the issues in Corinthians. And, and then again, there's just something so beautiful that God was calling to do. And many of these competitions for dominance, that, that service and dedication became a way to one-up their neighbor rather than to serve one another and spur one another on in love and good deeds. And now everybody knows how our society today that it's not very much different from the Corinthians in that So we get to verses about uh, selling all that I have and, and delivering my body up to be burned, uh, and we feel trapped by them, right? Because we like our stuff, and we enjoy our comfort. <laughs> and so, so we get to verses like this, and we're like, ow. just refuse to level up spiritually, um, God will never ask me to do that. And if somehow he's looking at me, he's saying, oh, well, they haven't matured in their enough. They still need to cook a little bit. And we're like, well, the trick for him, you got to get that. And I like my stuff, and I like my comfort. And Paul says, that's, that's not your motivation at all. He says that, so, so we get to these verses, and we shouldn't feel trapped in it. We shouldn't say, I can never do that. I can never sell my house. I can never quit my job. I can never move to another country. Uh, because in your own strength, you are absolutely right. You can't do those things. And you don't want to do those things. You don't want to get rid of your stuff in your own strength. You don't want to give uh, of yourself in your own strength. And the good news is that when, if you have Jesus in your heart, that the Holy Spirit compels you to be able to be a person of service and sacrifice. And, and, and I think in your own strength, it's, it's not possible 
verse 18, you would see how if you remove love from any of these very important activities, that really you just left with this lesson of vanity uh, that, that, that is really easy to see when you encounter it in other people. That, that, that the self-righteous person who looks down on you because you're not talented enough for them or the smartest person in the world, at least declared by themselves. Or a purpose you can accomplish more in a day than most in a year, but they like to credit so much that you'd rather them not do anything at all. And a person who is so selfless, they, they like to remind you how selfless they actually are. You know, that person, you laugh because you're like, I know a person like that. Are you sitting next to them? Well, maybe, I don't know. But if you're talking about having influence in the person's life so that they can receive the love of Christ, love has to be a valuable thing. It's going to really take a deal with that as you're going through this lesson. What a better way to go. My desire this week is to love God by placing Him. As we wrap up, we want to make some prayer available to you. If you need someone to pray with you, we believe in its power. Uh, Troy and Jessica, they'll be back here. They would love to do that. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, there's no better time than now. He has loved you in your very worst moments, and you will not hide that from him. He loves you in the most difficult of your seasons, and he offers the rest of Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your incredible love. We pray that we would be known as people changed by your love. We pray we would make you proud as you carry it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.